Shall we pray? Father, as we gather in this house of worship today, we pray it will also be a house of decision where we realize what you have done for us and in some way respond so great of love. Our hearts go out today, Lord, to our brothers and sisters in Aurora, Colorado, and the, the devastation there. Bring comfort and, and hope and strength. Father, our, our prayers go to, to those around the world who are suffering. We ask that you would ameliorate such need and bring healing and strength. Be with those in our own congregation who are struggling Speak a word to them through the scripture and let everyone be bold, courageous to respond to your claim upon them. For we ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Good morning. Welcome to First Baptist Church. Uh, if you would take your bulletin today and tear off your registration, we would love for you to register, whether it be changing information for our members or if you're our guest, we would like to get to know you. If you would register with us and turn that in during the offering time. Also on the back of that registration, there's a uh, list for prayer needs. We have a team that is praying during our services for any need and every need, and we would love to know your needs so that we might pray for you. We also have a tradition of standing and greeting those around you. If you do that now, please stand and greet someone around you. Right, boys and girls, how are you this morning? Good. I'm so glad to see you in God's house to worship him today. Have you had a good summer so far? Been having fun, but it's important and it's good to be in God's house to worship him in the summer too. So I'm glad to see you. I think Peyton Bozeman has the Happy Club bag. Ms. Peyton, let's see what you brought. Come up here a little bit closer. Thank you. Let's see what Peyton brought. All right, Peyton, tell me about this. It's your favorite doll. Does he have a name? No name? Is there a special reason why you brought him? No reason? Okay. <laughs> oh, his, her name is Allison. Is that right, Allison? Sister said. Okay, well, I think um, he is a she, and her name is Allison. So, and Peyton brought this because it's your favorite, isn't it? And you just wanted to share that with us. Um, 
Who, boys and girls, you have a favorite doll. Do y'all have a favorite toy or a favorite, girls, do you have a favorite doll or a yeah. favorite toy or favorite, you do, everybody? I know my favorite kind of toy. Everybody has a favorite toy or a favorite doll. Do y'all think God has a favorite person? Yes. Who do you think God's favorite person is? Us. Oh, good. That's right. All of us are God's favorite. This is, this is uh, Peyton's favorite doll, Allison. So she loves this doll. I'm sorry? Ray. Oh, I'm sorry. And so, and so uh, this, is, this is something precious to her. And uh, if we think about God's favorites, y'all are exactly right, boys and girls. This is, who are his favorites? You and you and you and you and you and all of us. And you. And me too. That's right. All of us are loved by God and we are his favorites. So that's something to think about, how much he loves you and how much he, um, he has done for you to prove that love. And as you grow, you're going to learn more and more about God's love. And so we just open up our hearts to it. And to him. Let's pray and thank God for loving us like we're his favorites. Dear God, thank you for loving us like we're your favorites. Help us love you back. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. This is Allison, is that right? Oop, I'm sorry. And it's a boy's turn, Miss Sabina. Carter Jackson. Carter. Will you take the bag and bring back something special? All right. Thank you. Boys and girls, you can go with Miss Sabina to children's worship if you like. When I first heard this song, I thought it was beautiful. But then when I learned that it was written from the perspective of Mary Magdalene in reaction to the resurrection, I cried. I always thought it would be wonderful to walk on this earth with Jesus. But then I can't imagine living those three days thinking that he had died. And then the unimaginable joy in finding that he's alive. This song is an expression of our salvation, and I pray that it come from my heart, soul, mind, and strength to praise our Savior. Death has lost and love has 
Catherine, what kind of love is this that suffers death on the cross? What kind of love is this that takes our sin, our loss, and dies on Calvary just for you and for me? The hymn is number 208, Love Divine, All Loves Excelling. Will you please stand as we sing?
Can we, uh, can we pray, please? <clears throat> Father, I just ask you right now, Father, to forgive us for where we have failed you. Father, I thank you for, the, for this day. Father, I thank you for life. And Father, I love you for what you did for us so many years ago. But I, I think back, Father, to that song that Catherine was just singing, Alive. And that's what you are. And I just thank you for that. Father, I thank you for the staff that's here at this church, their hearts, their desires to go out and to put in the extra time. And Father, we thank you for that. Father, we ask you to bless this offering that we're about to receive. Father, we ask, we pray for wisdom, knowledge, direction, that we take it and we spend it, Father, where you want us to spend it and do with it, Father, what you want us to do with it. Father, we love you, and we thank you again for today. We ask you to go with us as we go from here today, Father, and give us guidance and direction. We praise your holy name. Amen.
Thank you, choir. <coughs> Thank you, Catherine. If we excuse Miss Gina, Brother Ron is in surgery right now, uh, gallbladder surgery. He's out. Doing okay. I'd like to say a prayer. Shall we begin? Father, we just thank you for being with Brother Ron through surgery, for the success, and we pray for his, his healing and recovery. Uh, be with Gina and others as they tend to him uh, in the coming days. But we just praise you as the great physician for good medicine and, and good doctors and uh, a good team standing by and for a successful procedure, all possible, because you love us and you provide for us. And you've done so for Ron this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, we are preaching through the Bible, and uh, I did know what the soloist was going to sing this morning. So I wanted to talk about the resurrection and, and the crucifixion and what that made possible in our lives. And we're in the book of Colossians as we look at a sermon from each book of the Bible, forcing us to discipline ourselves to tread in waters we don't ordinarily go. <clears throat> and I'm in Colossians 2, verses 8 through 15. The sermon is entitled, Guilty as Sin. And I actually tried to go on the internet to look up the etymology of, of the phrase, guilty as sin. And all I could find was, it just means very guilty. And I suppose um, the sin in our lives characterizes that guilt that is so rampant in our world today. I actually heard one psychologist say one time that guilt is uh, the overriding problem in most of the cases that he sees in his office. The good news is that God did something about it, and we don't have to, as they say here in the South, tote that guilt around with us the rest of our lives. Verse 8 through 15 of chapter 2 in Colossians says this, <clears throat> See to it that no one makes a prey of you by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the universe, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Apparently there are some folks in Paul's day that were teaching that, that Christ was not divine, uh, that he just, or was not human, that he just appeared to be human. And uh, here it says the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So Paul is trying to clarify the point that Christ was both divine and human together. You've come to fullness of life in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh and the circumcision of Christ. And you were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith and the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead, listen to verses 13 and 14. You who were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, having canceled the bond which stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, listening to this, nailing it, to the cross. He disarmed the principalities and powers and made a public example of them, triumphing over them in him. Having canceled the bond which stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Let's pray. Father, every one of us here this morning knows something in our past of which we are not proud. And we have confessed it and found forgiveness from you, but still managed to drag it around like a, like a ball on a chain. Father, help us to realize today that if you have forgiven and forgotten our sin, that guilt need no more find asylum in our hearts. And so help us to let it go and find the joy of forgiveness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
Gil Hodges was the manager of the old Washington Senator baseball team. And one evening he got word that four of his baseball players, four of them, had violated curfew. And so he wanted to, to teach them a lesson, but he didn't want to embarrass them in front of everybody else. So he said, this is what I'm going to do. Guys, he said, I'm going to put a cigar box here on my desk. And tomorrow morning, when I look in that box, I want the four of you who violated curfew to put a $100 bill in there. The next morning when he got up, he found $800 in the, in the cigar box. Because there were a lot more people violating curfew than he realized. And more people were dealing with guilt, apparently, than he knew. And that example with, with Gil Hodges is not something that's rare because I think sin and guilt is, are something that, that we deal with throughout our lives. We all know what we have done in the past. And we all know that every time we have sinned, we could have done differently. We could have done better. And so we pray and ask God's forgiveness. And, and some of us have received that forgiveness and let it go. But a lot of us have received God's forgiveness, but we have not let it go. It's almost like we have not believed that God is able and willing to forgive us. 1 John 1, 9, over and over again, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is God's word. That is his promise. And yet somehow, we who have believed God is powerful enough to save us from our sins, somehow won't accept and believe that God is able to forgive us and cleanse us of our sins since we have been saved. Or maybe even prior to our salvation. Guilt has always been with us, and I don't have to go looking very hard in the Bible to find it. Go back to the first pages of Genesis, and you find Adam and Eve hiding behind a tree in the Garden of Eden because they knew they had sinned. A little bit further in the Old Testament, you find David and Bathsheba and, and writing in the 51st Psalm, Oh God, my transgressions are great and my sin is ever before me. Flip over to the New Testament and find the, those self-righteous Pharisees who threw the woman in adultery down at the feet of Jesus and he said, Let you who is without sin cast the first stone and they dropped the rocks they were holding and silently slunk away into the shadows. What about Peter who denied Jesus three times around the campfire? And then there was Judas, who also betrayed Jesus, but was unable to find forgiveness for himself and ended up taking his own life. That guilt was too great a burden to bear. The sad news and the good news is that Judas could have been forgiven if he had only asked and received. The problem of sin and guilt in scriptures and in our lives is so prevalent. And so I want us to think this morning about guilt from two different perspectives. First of all, what we do with it, which in summary, we usually manage to mess it up. And secondly, from the perspective of God, what does he do with it? And you find the perfect solution to guilt in the second part of the message. Usually though, when we try to deal with guilt by ourselves, we make a royal mess of it. Uh, I've tried to brainstorm with, with what I have done with guilt in my own life and what I've heard others do with guilt. The first thing that is, is so often that I hear is that we tend to rationalize it. We say, well, you know, I have done this, but it's not that bad, or everybody's doing it, and it's not a big deal, it's not that major an issue, I'll just try to forget it and sweep it under the rug. And that's what a lot of people manage to do with it, but it doesn't really solve anything because hiding under the rug, it doesn't ever really go away. I've heard of a couple of stories of men who were breaking the law and, and the funny things they come up with to rationalize their sin, their law breaking. One gentleman was caught speeding on the open road and when the officer stopped him and pulled him over, he said, sir, can you tell me why you were going so fast? And the man said, yes, sir, I have heard that the roads are so dangerous these days but I prefer to get on and get off just as quickly as possible. 
I'm not sure that thinking works. There's another, um, just a chronic car thief. And uh, he was caught stealing a car. And, and when he was pulled over and, and handcuffed and put in the back, he said, look, guys, it's not my fault. He said, I found the car next to a cemetery, and I assumed the owner was dead. So sometimes those things just don't work, and they are just as um, frail in our own lives as we try to rationalize the sin and the guilt that we carry. It sounds just as foolish and just as silly to God. Sometimes we just deny it. I guess we know somewhere deep down that, that we have sinned and that we are guilty, but we manage to repress it so much that we just live in denial. I, I can blank that out of my mind. I can, can just forget that it ever really happened. We, we try to convince ourselves. But somewhere deep down, that sin still lurks and occasionally raises this ugly head. A man who bought a brand new Rolls Royce took it on vacation, and as soon as he arrived at his destination, the Rolls Royce experienced a major mechanical failure. So he called the dealer, and the dealer called the factory. And the factory actually sent an experienced service technician all the way from England to where this man was on vacation to repair his car and then returned home to England. The man waited for several weeks for a bill to arrive, and one never did. So finally, he called the factory, and he said, where's my bill? He said, I had a, I had a new Rolls Royce that broke down, and, and I expected you know, to, some kind of bill. And he got a reply back from the company that said, we're sorry, we have no record of any Rolls Royce ever having mechanical failure. And that was their story, and they were sticking to it. And that's the way we do sometimes. We just pretend that it didn't really happen because we deny it. Sometimes we try to run from it. And I have heard so many stories of people who had something happen in their past and, and they're middle-aged now or they're senior adults now and they still are dragging this sin and this guilt around with them like an albatross and they can't leave it behind. A man in Massachusetts stole a watch 35 years earlier, and he still couldn't get it out of his mind. He couldn't get over it, and so later he sent money to his minister and said, please take this money and deliver it to the family from which I stole this watch. He ran from that event for 35 years, but you know what? No matter how far or how fast, how fast you run, you can't outrun your guilt. I had someone tell me after the early service and sharing that story that he was talking to a lady who was 87 years old and she still was ridden with guilt from something that happened in her youth. She was dragging that around with her for 70 years. Imagine the victory Satan got in that and the joy that was robbed from her life because of that. Because she could not accept and receive God's forgiveness and cleansing from guilt. And that's the fourth thing that, that we can do and that Christians have as an option. And it's the only viable alternative. It's the only thing that works. We can ask God to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have the ability and the opportunity to take our sin to God and lay it at the cross and he will cleanse us and forgive us. Whatever we have done, however much we have sinned, however great the burden of guilt, God can take and he will take that load off of our shoulders and we can be forgiven. I don't care what you've done. There is nothing that you can do that God cannot forgive. I've had folks tell me I've committed the unforgivable, the unpardonable sin. And I assure them, listen, the only unforgivable sin is your unwillingness to be forgiven. The only unpardonable sin is, is our unwillingness to ask God to forgive us. People commit the unforgivable sin when they, their hearts are so hardened and so cold and they're so far from God that they don't realize they've sinned anymore. But when you 
know you've sinned when you ask God's forgiveness. His mercy and grace are great enough to forgive you, no matter what, no matter what your past, no matter how long ago it happened, no matter how major an issue it was in your life and how guilty you feel for it, God can and will forgive you. But you've got to humble yourself and admit your need and ask his forgiveness and receive it. That's the only thing that works from our perspective. Now let's look at guilt and sin from God's perspective. And it comes right out of the text here, verses 13 and 14. And you who were dead in trespasses, you were dead, folks. When you were sinning, you were dead. And the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, having canceled the bond which stood against us with its legal demands. What bond? That's the debt that our sin created. It's an astronomical debt that you and I could not repay. But God canceled that debt when Jesus died on the cross with his legal demands. This he set aside. How? He nailed it to the cross. He disarmed the principalities and powers and made a public example. He humiliated the principalities and powers in public, triumphing over them in him. What does God do with sin and guilt? First of all, he faces it head on at the cross. At the cross, Jesus, who knew no sin, actually became the embodiment of sin for us. And I don't know exactly how that, that transformation takes, takes place or took place, but I know that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he took all the guilt of all mankind, of all the world, for all time, and God placed that in a cup, and Jesus drank it to its bitter dregs, and the one who knew no sin became sin for us. And when those Roman soldiers were nailing Jesus to the cross, they were nailing our sin to the cross too, because Jesus became the personification of our sin. And when Jesus said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That was what was happening. Jesus was taking the weight of the sin of the world on his shoulders. And God, in all of his holiness and all of his righteousness, could not behold his only begotten son at that instant. And he shielded his face from him. And Jesus felt the removal of God's presence from him as he bore the weight of sin on his shoulders. And then with his dying breath, he said, it is finished. Notice he did not say, I am finished. He said, it is finished. What is finished? The transaction is complete that paid the penalty for our sin on the cross. It is done. It is over. It's finished. And in that one fatal swoop of time, God took our sins and nailed them to the cross. He faced it. Secondly, what does God do with it? He forgives it. He paid the penalty for your sin by the death of his son on the cross. Jesus paid the ultimate price. And the righteousness of God who could not countenance our sin, the righteousness of God that demands payment for sin has been satisfied. It has been paid in full. Your account has been wiped out, which the debt of sin created by your name in the annals of heaven. But you have to accept it and receive it. It's there. It's done for you already. Believe and accept it and receive it. And God takes it and nails it to the cross. I was reading recently and, and read of a, an ancient oriental tradition, and I think this, what, this might be what Paul has in the back of his mind when he writes this. There's an ancient oriental tradition where, where a, a debtor has a debt and, and, the, and the owner of the debt, when it is settled, he takes the note where that debt has been paid in full and he takes it and nails it to the door of the homeowner who's paid the debt, whatever that debt might be. I don't know why they do that. Perhaps everybody in that community knew that that individual, that household had a debt and the creditor 
comes and nails that piece of paper to the door. It says, paid in full, so everybody in town can see this man is no longer in his debt. And, and the issue of shame, which is such an important characteristic in Oriental society, is taken away. The debt has been satisfied. When a debt is paid in full, it's on the door for all to see. And I think that's what Paul has in the back of his mind. The debt of your sin has been paid in full. And it's been nailed to the door of the cross for all to see. God forgives it. And if you don't believe he can forgive your sin, then what you're saying to God basically is, the death of your son Jesus isn't sufficient to forgive me my sin because I'm special. And my sin is worse than everybody else's. And Jesus' death isn't good enough to forgive me of my sin. God says, no. No. I gave my son to cover the worst sins of the worst of mankind for the worst of times. I paid it all. You just have to receive it. And what is, what is so wonderful about God is he doesn't stop with forgetting, or forgiving. He takes it one further step, and he forgets. He faces it, he forgives it, and he forgets. You and I don't do that. We may forgive, but we don't forget. We say things like, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Because even though we may forgive, we keep a little file cabinet back there somewhere. And we remember what people have done against us. It's kind of like a computer. I'm told now, I'm still a, a novice with this, but even when you delete something, it's still there in the memory somewhere on the disk, isn't it? Somewhere. But God, with his perfect memory, when he forgives, he forgets it all. The disk is wiped clean. And there's so many passages in the Bible that support that. One of my favorite is Psalm 103.12. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far God removes our transgressions from us. In Micah, it says he takes our sins and buries them in the deepest sea. Over and over again, you want to know what God does with your sin. Not only does he forgive it, but he acts like it never even happened. And in his book, it disappears. A stern-faced man was standing at the intersection of a street corner in Chicago, a busy day. Pedestrians were walking by, and, and this man, I guess he had some issues. <laughs> but he would stand there, and he would raise and point his hand and finger at somebody passing by, and he would shout, guilty! He'd find somebody else and point his finger at them and shout, guilty! And I guess two pedestrians walking by saw the humor in that, and one of them kind of elbowed his buddy and said, I wonder how he knew. And that's the case with so many of us because guilt is a, is a common condition. But we don't have an earthly priest that we have to go through to intercede for us to God to find forgiveness of sins. We have a perfect high priest in Jesus Christ who has gone to the Father and who has given his life on the cross and our sins have been nailed there. And when Jesus hears our confession... And he pronounced, his father pronounces, not guilty, not guilty anymore. So the good news is, not only have you been saved, but when you confess your sins, you are continually forgiven and cleansed from all unrighteousness as if it never happened. You can have a clean slate when you leave here today. I don't care how you came in this morning. I don't care what guilt, I don't care what sin you brought with you. But there's no reason for any of us to leave here with that sin and with that guilt. All we have to do is believe and receive. 
and confess. And God has promised by the blood of the Lamb, He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be forgiven. And when God forgives, He forgets. So you take that guilt off your shoulders and you lay it down right here. And when you leave here, you leave here a new person. Let's bow together. God, because of what Jesus did for us 2,000 years ago, we believe, and most of us here this morning are Christians, but the shame of the matter is that even though we're Christians, we still harbor sin and guilt, and that's kind of a, an irony. I guess we believe enough to be, to be saved, but not enough be forgiven since our salvation. And maybe there's some here that have never been saved or, or others watching by television who, who are sitting there thinking, you know what, nobody's done what, what I've done. Nobody can be forgiven for what I've done. And yet so great a, a price was paid by the death of your only son on the cross that no matter what has been done, it can be forgiven if it's only confessed. Forgiveness is requested and received. Father, I pray no one here today or by this, listening by the sound of my voice will leave harboring sin and guilt when you offer us so great a salvation, so marvelous a forgiveness. You promise not only to forgive, but to forget. Let this be a fresh start and a clean slate for all of us. As we conclude our services, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our invitational hymn is number 290, I Am Thine, O Lord. I'll be at the front to receive you. 290, if you belong to Jesus and you want to testify publicly to that truth, you come forward. If you've rededicated your life, if you need to join this church, you come forward now. As we stand to sing 290, I'll be at the front. Please come. Mm -hmm.